Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Podcast, the podcast where we bring you weekly business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with leading minds in real estate and entrepreneurship to help you take your business to the next level. NLA Live 2020 is around the corner. NLA Live 2020 will be held in Scottsdale, Arizona at the Talking Stick Resort. It is it a beautiful hotel and casino? And we have an incredible lineup of speakers that we'll be announcing here shortly. You can find out more information and get the very best deal on pricing by visiting nextlevelagents.com and clicking on our events page. We look forward to seeing you there. Again, nextlevelagents.com and click on the event page. Hey guys, um, welcome back to another show. Today I got to interview Brad Inman. I think you're gonna enjoy this. For the few of you who don't know Brad, Brad's, he's a journalist. Um, he owns a company called Inman News, which has been around since 1996. As a, It's an online news source for the real estate industry. Essentially, it's to bring the information to real estate agents, which we get to talk about a little bit here in this interview. Um, you know, Brad's a unique guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last few years. Today was definitely the most time I'd spent with him uh, in a one-on-one dialogue. Um, and he's an interesting guy. He is someone who he actually found the company HomeGain.com back in 1999, which was later acquired by another company. Um, so he's he's a bit of an entrepreneur. He's also a journalist, and he is... In my words, I would describe him as an, as an advocate for the real estate industry. So a very interesting, unique fellow. Um, I know that I, my understanding and my viewpoint on Brad has changed quite a bit over the years as I've gotten to know him more and understand him more. He's a lot like me in the sense that he's, he's, he's going to say things that are not popular and he's going to go against the norms a lot of times. And as you get to know Brad, uh, I think you'll find out here in this interview, you realize he's doing that from a really good place, which I, I'll just be honest, I really connected to because I believe that I, I, I behave the same in a lot of ways. Um, not that we're exactly alike. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, there's a lot I could learn from Brad, no doubt about it. Um, but this was a fun interview. The other p- fun piece of this is, truthfully, we didn't really schedule it. Um, uh, when we first talked about doing this, he, he literally said to me like, Hey, I, I don't have a calendar. Um, but there's this day coming up that I, I don't have a lot to do because the next day is, is an event that I've got to be at. And so if you want to maybe do something that day, I'll, I'll probably have time that morning, but we can't set a time. So I, I of course went and put something on my calendar to remind myself to send him a text. And he said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So we literally jumped on. I had zero prep time. We had uh, kind of dove right into it, so it's a little choppy. Um, there's going to be times where the audio is not perfect on this, and I apologize. Um, sometimes it's that way with guests where they don't have a great connection. It's just part of uh, doing this game. But if you can look past that, I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna hear some really great insights, not only on real estate, the future of real estate, um, but also into some insights into Brad as a person. It's pretty cool stuff. So, uh, without further ado, enjoy today's episode, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, next level podcast listeners, we are back today, and today I'm joined by Brad Inman. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. We appreciate your time, and uh, it's my pleasure for sure. I'll, hey, I'll jump right into it, Brad. I'll, you know, lot, you've obviously uh, built quite a uh, 
quite a community there in the real estate world with Inman. And it's something that a lot of us go to for news and whatnot. I'm curious, um, what was the kind of, what was the, what was the beginning of that? What was the thing that made you say, Hey, this is, this is going to be my next venture, right? You've done a lot of things in, in your life, uh, work-wise and to jump into real estate, uh, and build something new from scratch after selling your previous company. What was it about Inman that kind of called you, I guess? Yeah. Um, I would say as always, it's the readers. If you're a writer, which I've been my entire life, um, the only thing you focus on every morning you wake up is your readers. Um, you know, it's not about Brad or Brad Inman. Or, it's really about the reader. And that's how it all started. Somewhat accidental. I've had a lot of businesses with, you know, complicated plans and proposals and ideas. And this one was fairly accidental. It was the middle 90s. The internet came around. I was a consumer writer. a scandal at the National Association of Realtors and that scandal my editors really did sit oh, I don't think anyone cares they didn't know what NAR was let alone cared about it didn't think our readers would I think they were right and the internet came along and I just you know one of the early bloggers I just blogged about this scandal and what happened is realtors were like blocked to read Inman around that scandal because they felt like for the first time there was an independent voice about their own industry that wasn't out there before, and uh, they felt like they weren't getting the information they deserved. Uh, it was pretty cloaked and you know very opaque then. It still is, but really opaque back then. And so suddenly we had readers, so then we just made the whole experience about uh, industry readers. Um, so no big plan, kind of an accidental business, uh, but the same fundamental values, good journalism, um, and you know that's always what we've subscribe to um you know we get criticized and um people disagree with us and we make mistakes and we correct them but it's old-fashioned journalism that's awesome i love that you know I, what i what i've admired about you from the beginning even before we met was that you were willing to share your opinions and put things out there in the uh on the website and at your events whether or not they were for lack of a better word popular right with the with the community and what was going on um you know because there's been so much change in our industry over the last few years in fact i remember the first time i went to an inman connect you were talking about these things called smart contracts and um like what that could do to the future of a transaction i just remember it completely blew my mind to think oh wow this is a really cool this really is the future of where we could go um and i think it still scares a lot of folks in our industry yet um you know, I think it's stuff that we have to talk about. Is there, are, are you, what, what makes you continue to do that and bring, are you just, or do you like to see like the progression of things from technology? Is it uh, just more around just the development of our, of our industry? What is it that help that makes you want to keep talking about things like that and bringing those to the, to the forefront? Yeah, I think again, it's back to our readers. Um, we try our best to tell the truth. We try to get the facts straight. There's probably an overarching vision that technology is going to create a better consumer experience. In some cases, it doesn't. We all know that. Um, and kind of the overriding vision of Inman is, you know, help change the industry to create a better consumer experience. And we, we do that only because we think technology, consumers are adopting it. Consumers are up on it. And an agent goes out and... You know, in the old days, no one would tell them what was going on. 
And the consumer would ask them a question because consumers, thanks to the internet, are aware of everything. And agents um, didn't have the information to, you know, provide an informed reply to the question about, hey, what is Zillow? Hey, what is Open Door? Hey, what is this? What is that? And so we feel it's our duty to keep the industry abreast so they can keep up with consumers. Um, and keeping it all a big secret or only reporting on the things that are positive, um, you know, or only reporting on the things that are politically correct in the industry seems like a real disservice. Um, and that pisses off a lot of people. And we wear that with a badge of honor. If you're a journalist and you're a real journalist and you're not upsetting some people, particularly the status quo and the big shots, then you're probably not doing our job. We don't yeah. write to appease the people at the top. I write to inform and help the million everyday realtors. I really relate to the realtors. They're like entrepreneurs. You know, they don't have maternity leave. They don't have health insurance. They don't have dog insurance. They don't get a paycheck dropped in their bank account twice a month. Um, you know, it's just like an entrepreneur. Nothing. And, you know, I've always been that. So I relate to, to agents and I, um, you know, some of them are silly and crazy, but that, color is actually part of their personality and their authenticity and, and uh, you know when I first got in the industry I was always shocked that some of the people at the top made fun of their own members um, because of their silly behavior and they were so arrogant about it um, and that really didn't make sense to me like these people are the ones paying the dues paying for everything they're paying for Zillow success and you know Compass success and NAR success and the MLS is success and that they would go to these cocktail parties and hang around with one another and put down the everyday agent just seemed ludicrous. And I've always, my whole life, kind of reacted to that. You know, the 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 the, the middle guy or the the guy in the low end of the totem pole not being treated with respect. So that probably is my bias right there. That's awesome. I appreciate. It. It's I love that you're aware of that too. Um, because it, I mean, it helps you. I, I believe that helps you to just stay true, or at least you know that's that's the that is from my case. Um, what, what is it? Let me ask you this because of your viewpoint, what is the thing that you wish if you could have like, if you had the power to make all realtors aware of and informed of X, what, what would that be? What do you think that as an industry, we as realtors need to know more of us need to know about or be aware of or, or learn to do? Well, it's a great question. And I, I don't want to just be, you know, at the moment, but I do think something's happening at the moment that I'm not sure I know what the outcome is, but it looks to me like the buyer's agent is getting uh, squeezed. Um, and I'll just go through quickly what I think those um, pieces are. Yeah. Uh, on the one, you have the lawsuit that's questioning um, the relationship and, you know, the very heart of broker cooperation and who pays the commission and whether the seller in this case is in the dark and whether the buyer's getting a free ride. And that is always work because it, it allowed buyers to go out and see everything they wanted to possibly see. But so that's under scrutiny. And it's not so much that NAR and the big industry group, you know, companies are going to lose the lawsuit. It's just the opaque part of this process is suddenly very transparent. And that means people have to address this. There's a rigorous debate going on about it. And that's really healthy. Like, Oh gosh, what what should we do here? And it's you know we're already seeing individual leadership and in actions, the Northwest MLS and Redfin and others that are doing things to disclose things that weren't disclosed in the past. So that's disruptive to the buyer's agent. 
The second thing is the industry drinking its own blood, pocket listings, you know, uh, inside sales. Um, that defies the very nature of broker cooperation. And it, it, it's certainly in many cases, not all cases, it's anti-consumer. And so the idea, I mean, they themselves, meaning the industry, is taking actions that erode the role of the buyer's agent when they're promoting inside sales and trying to capture all the value on the listing side. Uh, then you have things like technology and Redfin where you know Redfin Direct allows a consumer to go on to Redfin and choose to just make a digital offer with the smart contract, with a, a digital offer and go directly to the selling agent with all the tools. I think they have a 57 Q&A helping buyers um, they're not necessarily promoting it. They're saying some of their consumers want to do it and the seller wants to do it and they're going to save their seller some money. And of course they're going to capture some money. Um, they're in the middle, but so there's another example of the erosion of the buyer's agent. So are we going to go the way of the UK where there is no such not right away. None of this is going to happen in 18 months, but um, clearly, these are signs that suggest an erosion of the classic cooperation between buyers and sellers. And each of these elements have occurred in the past. You know, some buyers go directly to the selling agent. That's not new. But it's just, could it become pervasive? Um, so I think you're going to see, like always in industry, a lot of innovation inside the industry and respond to these externalities. And I think, uh, oh, the last one, though, is iBuyers. You know, a lot of iBuyers. They may not want to tell you this, but they're going to go direct to the seller. Um, they're talking about using agents here and there, and I think maybe they will to a degree. But I think at the end of the day, this is a very direct model. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think there's a certain penetration level that they'll get to, and the goal is going to is going to be to be extremely direct um, to to whatever. By the way, in all of this, good agents are are opportunistic. This is these they've always been opt opportunistic. I mean. People say they're not adopting technology. Smart agents always adopted technology. I mean, I launched a company called and um, very successful, you know, early marketing company, home valuation. We invented that, not Rich Barton, as I jokingly tell Rich. Um, but that model was based on individual initiative by agents, and they just seized the opportunity. Just their brokers told them not to participate, you know. NAR shunned us, uh, you know, we had to hand off 40,000 files to the DOJ in the last investigation of NAR, not because we were under scrutiny, we were on the right side of the angels, but because of all the efforts made to try to circumvent what we were doing. But the individual agent, they don't care about any of this stuff. They don't care about politics of NAR. They're not sitting there wringing their hands like broker owners sometimes do. They are just out there looking for deals because they have to. They don't get a salary like, all of the employees of NAR. And so they jumped, I think we had 30,000 agents register for home gain in a matter of a year, you know, and they were working the leads and innovating and creating profiles. And um, so that's, that's how agents operate. So these changes are in some ways threatening in some ways scary and unclear, but agents will find ways, you know, look at the national recession, the really good agents, took advantage of that situation in a good way to, to earn a living and they shift. They, you know, when you're a solo contractor, you don't have some bozo over you telling you what not to do because he's worried about keeping his or her job. 
you just are a free range operator to go and do what you need to do to make a living for your family. Yeah, I, I think if nothing else, uh, innovation will infor- will forces us as realtors to innovate as well and find ways to to bring value and, and make a paycheck from that by by creating the value for the consumer. Yep, absolutely. I, I think in the in the end, the consumer you know the consumer wins, which which is who should win um, for for all of this, and it's going to be an interesting couple of years. There's no doubt about that. And one thing, you know, I tend to go to extremes to, you know, take shots at as like the big shots. <laughs> These are all good people working hard to do their job. It's just everyone sits in a different uh, seat here in the table. And um, I just think we ought to really be clear about who's doing most of the work. And I think as I feel very strongly that we should, you know, open the floodgates of innovation and let the entrepreneurs uh, and give them what they need, give them the data and the information so that they can be successful. I, I, you know, operating from a, a, a state of fear never helps anyone. And I think too often the industry operates from a, a point of fear and we have to really stop doing that to ourselves. I mean, I know me, if I'm negative in fear, I don't accomplish anything. That's, that's a really good point. Well, so let, let me shift the, uh, let, let me shift the conversation a little bit. Uh, this is one you kind of preloaded me with in a way. Uh, is it true that you, you don't operate with a calendar? Like you just go about your day without a calendar? Yeah, it's a new thing. Um, I buy one way tickets. I don't have a calendar. I don't have a clock. I guess I look at my cell phone. I got rid of, um, all the voice commanded technology I had in my house, uh, which was really liberation. I, you know, I, I'm an early adopter of everything. I always was notorious for that. And I, so I, you know, I love to try things, but I had them all over my house and I have fortunate. I've, I have a few houses and I just got rid of all of it. And um, it's, it's really freeing. All these things are about freedom. We're kind of trapped by our technology and our, and calendars, you know, um now granted i'm lucky i don't have to worry about that um like i used to but i was a pretty serious guy in fact when i met my wife yaz one of the first things she said to me is take the world really seriously brad but stop stop taking yourself so seriously we interrupt this podcast to remind you that the nla live 2020 conference is coming up on april 23rd 24th and 25th of 2020 it is not too early to register Visit nextlevelagents.com today and click on the events link for more information and ticketing. So, yeah, I operate without a calendar. Uh, I know I have to get Luxury Connect tomorrow morning. Uh, Any obligation or duty I have to give a talk or um, like now I'm taking this really seriously. But as you know, it took a while to uh, to get me to, to, to commit to a date or a time. Um, yeah, it's very liberating. Um, I think the good and bad of technology, right? Our privacy and technology is, you know, kidnapped our privacy and they kidnapped our lives. And so I, I'm working really diligently. Um, it's kind of like driving. I don't drive anymore. I can, but I try like heck not to drive. It's very liberating to ride a bike and pass the people uh, that are stuck in bumper to bumper. Um, and it's good for my heart, but, uh, just some of these things as you get older, you look back and you say, wow, I did all that way too seriously. I should lighten up a little, but I'm at an age where I can do that and I can afford to do that. So I'm a very lucky guy. Was there, was there one incident or was there a certain turning point where you said, Hey, 
you know what, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to put this stuff down. I'm, I'm going to unplug the, the voice devices. I'm going to stop using a ca uh, calendar on a regular basis. Was there one now, thing? I've never read a self-help book in my life. I owned an e-publishing company and our most popular titles are self-publishing, but I are self-help books. I've never read, I read business stories, but I don't read business, how to be best business, how to be the best commando, how to be the best, best, but I just don't buy into any of that. And I, uh, I get that people feel like they need it, but um, so I am not as deliberate about things. Uh, I I was liberated on this by my wife Yaz, who's quite an amazing person. You know, came as an immigrant, couldn't speak English, um, didn't have any money, and started businesses in Brooklyn and was very successful. And um, she just she doesn't know what day it is today. Probably she doesn't even know what month it is, and um, she certainly doesn't know what time it is. She probably knows what city we're in. She's a super smart, savvy woman, but I learned from her, like you can live life, you can wear your suit a lot looser and, you know, but you do have to be careful, you know, I'm still a responsible person, but I got really good people. It took me a while. I used to not delegate very well. I, you know, I was an overly serious guy. I used to, you know, manage everything intently and micromanage and, you know, I just, that, I don't do that anymore. So I think I learned from her. So I don't think one day I said, I'm not going to have a calendar. I just stopped using it. So That's awesome. It didn't yeah. really hurt my life. I'm sure there's some meeting I missed that someone's mad at me. I just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure, I'm sure if it was a super important meeting, they probably would, would get back to you and find their way to you eventually. Uh, so, you know, it's probably okay. But I do think there is an, we're in a point where we have to protest the stranglehold technology has on us. We as citizens need to stand up to some of this that's turned ugly, you know, I really do. And I think, um, anyway. You know, you, you reminded me when you said that there's a gentleman who, um, I don't know him personally, I've, I've listened to quite a bit, quite a few of his interviews, his name's Adam Robinson. And he's talked quite a bit about, you know, the, it's, it's designed that way. It's designed to keep our to keep our attention and keep us, you know, checking the notifications and checking in on the websites and whatnot, the social yeah. media sites. Um, and so we've got a number one under, I think when we begin to understand that, um, then we can start to number, forgive ourselves about it. Cause a lot of people I think feel shame and guilt, even though they're doing it all day long. Um, it still draws them in and they feel shame and guilt about why they're doing it. Not realizing it's because there's very smart people with a lot of money working against them to get them to actually do that thing, to want to pick the phone up. Yeah, and I'm a capitalist and I'm proud of it. Um, it's not very popular these days, but I really believe in, just as I, I believe in privacy and the First Amendment, I also believe that people should, I, I love the free market and our ability to go out and start and do things. So I really respect the guys that, you know, it's like I respect the people in the industry that are working from the top trying to change things. It's very hard. It's very hard to start a company. It's very hard to create a Google or a Facebook or an Amazon. I mean, just look at those stories of those guys, and it's just amazing. Um, on the other hand, I think it got out of their own control. And I think these things became, uh, and that's probably the scariest thing. Um, and I think similar to all of us using technology, no, I don't think there's any guilt or shame. I just think, let's be honest about how it's affecting us and do what we can to maybe liberate ourselves a little just so we can enjoy life. 
I talk too much. I love to meet strangers. I'm just absolutely loves to meet someone I've never met. I always learn. And to think that I'm not able to do that as much because either I or the person across from me, you know, is, is, you know, addicted to this, this device, you know, I just, I hate, I'm selfishly, I, I, I love to engage people. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, one of the things I, that, that I uh, paid attention to early on when I first uh, had uh, learned of you was you'd, you'd constantly post about engagements you'd had with people and it's, you'd be in a city and, I, you know, I met so-and-so at a cafe in LA or, or wherever you happen to be and you tell a story and oftentimes it was related to real estate, obviously, or it was something you learned for real estate and I realized that you, you sort of, you tend to do that. You must, you must enjoy engaging with random people and learning from them because there's a whole lot to learn when we can kind of pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. There's just so much beyond our own worlds and our own networks. Uh, it's one of the things initially I was loved social because it was engaging in a way that I, you know, really represented how I, I saw the world. But then I realized what was lost, you know, you wound up just hanging out with people like you and people that thought like you and that community wasn't as interesting and diverse as you might think. I mean, I have a carpenter in uh, Palm Beach. He's from Kentucky, so he had a natural affinity. I'm from Illinois, and but he's almost 80 and didn't get through high school. And he's a true artisan. He does prove, and he built these ceilings for Yaz. And, um, you know, I see elite shun people like him all the time. He's become one of my dearest friends. And I've learned more from him than I ever learned from colleagues that taught with me at Cal Berkeley, faculty members that are tenured with PhDs. <laughs> I learned shit from them. Um, I learned so much from a guy like that. So you never know. And when I met him, I didn't, I just try not to have any bias about anything. So I don't think I had bias, but it never occurred to me to become a really dear friend. In fact, I gave a talk in Florida to about 500 realtors recently and I invited him to come and because he kind of, we know what Jake does. He's a true carpenter. You can see his work every day, but he was kind of like, what do you do, Brad? Are you just a bullshitter? Do you do anything? And I said, well, come and hear me speak. And, um, and I gave him a shout out afterwards and he was very shy and humble, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, the reason I tell that story is just, there's so many interesting people out there. I think realtors are good at it too. I think they have to be right. They network. So yeah. I always thought they're pretty unbiased. Um, there was a time maybe they were, but they have to be pretty open to all kinds of people from all walks of life because it might represent a lead or an opportunity or a buyer or a seller. Um, so they're by their nature, they're inclusive. And I always said the industry itself is very diverse. Uh, one thing Yas said to me is, you know, get more young people up there, less guys with suits. You know, it's a colorful industry. She'd look at it, the audience and say, all those people should be on your stage. Um, so we really obsessed on that and really proud of the fact that we, over the last seven years, we've done that to more truly reflect the audience. And then what you discover when you do that, how many smart people are out there that no one knows about? Oh yeah. Uh, there are just incredible numbers of cool, creative cats in real estate that no one's ever heard of. And, you know, real estate always had this classic, the same 50 experts, you know, up on the stage saying the same thing that allegedly knew the future and could predict it. And you'll meet an agent who would have thought, you know, this guy did something in his life that was amazing. 
and uh, and has great street sense and naturally intuitive. And so it is those numbers that you that you start getting. You know, you, know, you learn a lot. I mean, I learn every day. I'm about to go on my bike, and I'll meet somebody in the coffee shop. What um, I, I'll, I've only and I've only got two more questions for you. I promise I'll keep it short. Oh, um, are do you? Are you an ad, like? Do you consider yourself an advocate for the people that maybe don't have a voice? I'm kind of sensing that from you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I love to put new voices on the stage. Um, we've all these. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I don't think I wake up and say I'm gonna, you know, but I think we've tried to. I mean, there's an old thing in journalism: you get four good sources who always return your call, and you keep calling them. So every story quotes you know the same five experts and but you constantly your editors have to remind your reporters i know she'll return your call in five seconds but you're using her in every story and so there's just so many smart people out there um so i think in that way from journalism you're just more voices more opinions more people more profiles of these interesting characters that we can get you know, we enrich the newsfeed and we also share more good ideas. Um, and then, you know, I've always been an advocate for, for, you know, my big thing now is, you know, the opiate crisis and what it's done to our communities and how, you know, the cabal between the, the drug companies and the politicians and the pharmacies is, you know, these people got away literally with murder. Yeah. And, um, you know, those are the kind of, and I, I'm a bike rider and I bike in cities and I see it every day in every community I am in, you know, just devastation um, throughout our communities. And it's a real estate issue because it hurts real estate values. So it's just sad to see the, you know, these victims of the recession then get addicted to opiates and then heroin and, and it's a key ingredient in the homeless problem. So those are issues I care about because they're clearly at the bottom of the, of the barrel. Yeah, I I am I couldn't agree with you more on those. Uh, and we've by all the been way. relatives and friends that we've lost, you know. Yeah, no, no one's immune from it. Whether they're whether it's one person removed in their immediate family in their household, or you know related to, or you know best friends stuff like that. No one's immune to that. Um, well, and our doctors are the people we used to trust. I was taught to trust the doc, Doctor Lusk. You know, he's subscribing them. There's a new one, by the way. I'll share with your listeners that I'm I'm thinking is really going on here. Uh, how come we're all suddenly worried about not sleeping? Um, no one worried about it before. And it's not necessarily true that our sleeping patterns are any worse. People always woke up in the middle of the night. And now you're reading, just look today, you'll see it. There's stuff everywhere popping up here and there and news stories and advertisements and this and that. And it's a slow methodical campaign to make us all worry that we're not sleeping enough. And we're probably not, I don't know. I'm sure the digital device, I'm sure all the explanations you read of why, but all the self-help books and there's just sleep, 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 sleep. Now, who do you think's behind that? Of course it's the drug companies. They, they can't do the pain stuff anymore because they got in serious trouble. But, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's pretty obvious. They infected universities, they changed the code for doctors on pain. And now suddenly our biggest problem in America or wherever is we're not sleeping enough and then you go who has a self-interest in this and then you go of course you know <laughs> they got to go on to the next thing and so now you're starting to see it you know drugs are sleeping drugs are sleeping drugs and I guarantee you some of these drugs aren't good for you you know so I don't mean to 
get wacko on you here, but you asked me the question. I, I worry about all my friends. Everyone's talking about sleeping, and I go, where did that come from? Someone implanted that in our head, you know, and it's just to social and news and information and research. There's always a new study about sleep. It's like, who paid for that, you know? Yeah. I may, I may be wrong, but... I, I think, um, well, I think every time you see a new study, you should always ask that question, who paid for that? Yeah. Um, and in the real estate industry too. <laughs> oh, everywhere. Right. Literally anytime there's a new study, I, I believe we have to use that bias. We have to use that filter of who paid for this study to even happen um, yeah. because it, that matters. There, nothing yeah. is totally unbiased. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's a study where there could be something sold at the end. Yeah, um, there, there's no doubt about that. Let me ask you this question. And uh, what are you maybe uh, bullish on today that maybe a year ago or two years ago you were, you were bearish or the other way around? What's, what's something where the last 12 to 24 months you've really realized, hey, I have a different viewpoint now than I had then? Yeah, well, I'm constantly amazed at the, um, the magic of relationships. Um, and I'm, I'm giving a speech tomorrow luxury, and I'm going to reference a book that Frank Lloyd Wright wrote. I read this book called Riot in New York, which is about him in New York City in the late 20s and early 30s. And he obsessed on Japanese prints. And he wrote a book called Japanese Prints. And in there, he talks about five shapes, the circle, the square, the triangle, the sphere, and the spiral. And, uh, and how they kind of are the elements, you know, from structural integrity to the circle being infinity. And so I just started applying those to thinking about, because I thought it'd be interesting to share that with the luxury audience. And I said, hmm, what if we use this as kind of a universal set of truths, the five shapes, and applied it to people and their relationships? And let's go further, let's apply it to realtors. And it's when I started thinking about, you know, the triangle is kind of the end-to-end -end relationship. It's structural integrity, but for the realtor, it's kind of like beginning people as they're just thinking about it and paying attention to that consumer when they're just dreaming about buying and not ignoring them because they're not ready. Uh, and then taking them to the end, you know, to the end and then sustaining a relationship. And then that's the circle, the infinity that the ongoing lifelong relationships we have as friends and clients and customers and so this, when I was thinking about it, and I thought, what are some of the universal truths of real estate success? And I certainly didn't invent this, but I always am reminded year over year when we talk about all this new stuff, that at the end of the day, it's an infrequent transaction. People are looking for counsel and advice. They want to collaborate intuitively. They don't feel comfortable or confident on their own. As we all know, 10 or 15, and maybe they'll grow to 20%, like to do it DIY and don't want to talk to a realtor. And there are a lot of bad realtors with a lot of bad experiences, so people are jaded. But at the end of the day, most people want that. So I think the more we do to figure out, you know, I call it emotional intelligence. Um, kind of my three things are emotional and marketing, or market intelligence and technology intelligence. I think the emotional intelligence equation is probably the most important. And now in these uncertain times, because we're really in some weird times here, right? Um, we're seeing with buyers on the fence and sellers kind of not wanting to move forward and politically uncertainty and even economically. And I think, you know, the technology stuff is making us uncertain. So what do you need in uncertainty in certain times? You need re real relationships to help you navigate this. So I think the premium is on relationships even more. And I don't think 
it's not that I didn't know that or didn't notice it. I just think now it's probably more important than it's ever been. Um, I find a great deal of solace in this uncertain world and kind of doubling down on every relationship I have with the people that I love and care about and trust. That's awesome. Well, hey, Brad, I appreciate that. I appreciate your time today oh, uh, in, in talking to our listeners. Um, I know you're very busy without a calendar, uh, but you do have a big event coming up and I know you got to prep for that. And um, so I just want to say thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I, I will see you in New York at Connect. Oh, yeah, uh, great. We're going to have a really good time there. And thank you. I really, and I thank you for doing this podcast. And for all the people, I'm also trying to be more humble and meek about some of these things. For all the people that I gave any shit to during this podcast, uh, remember I'm wrong half the time. And if you're in the real estate tent, I love you no matter what I said about you. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, you know, one of the things I, I realized even more so about this, about you during this conversation um, was that actually I, what you just said at the very end is it all comes from this place of like you actually care about the, the people in your world, the, the realtors in this case, uh, the people in the real estate industry quite a bit. And I, I just want to let you know, I appreciate that about you, Brad. Oh, thank you, man. And we'll, we'll see you soon. Okay. All right, have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. 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 That's it for today's show. Do me a favor if you enjoy this, go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening at. Leave us a review, share this episode with your friends. And for more great content, check us out in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash next level agents. That's facebook.com forward slash groups next level agents. See you soon.